Praise the Lord. Thank you, praise team. And he does reign and rule forevermore. Praise God that he died for us. But God, when he rose from the dead, he has exalted him and he is king of kings and lord of lords. He reigns and rules and will forever. And he wants to come and reign and rule in our hearts this morning. And that's why we open God's word to hear him speak. So I want you to invite you to take God's word and turn with me to the book of Psalms, Psalm 99. And as you're turning there, we're walking through and studying the attributes of God. And today we're going to consider what many believe is the most important attribute of God. And while it's the most important attribute of God, something actually has been lost in our culture and in the modern day church about this attribute. We're considering the holiness of God. And when, that, uh, when we stop and consider that, that's actually something sadly missing in the emphasis in a lot of our worship and praising and, and singing. And that's because we have lost the splendor of who he is, the awesomeness of who he is as the one, the Holy One of Israel. What comes to your mind and my mind uh, that we think distinguishes God the most is really insightful. What attribute do you think most identifies God? Because many will always be quick to point out that God is love. You ever heard that? Yeah. God is love and he is love, but his love is a holy love. And we don't start with the truth that God is love. We start with the truth that God is holy because it's his holiness that defines him. It's his holiness that defines the nature of that love. Over the next couple of weeks, we're going to understand how holiness and justice or righteousness and mercy and grace and love are all interrelated. But we begin with a God who is holy. In fact, this is the one attribute of all the attributes, some say, from where they, they flow from, God's essential being. The Bible clearly highlights that God is holy. It's in the Bible that you'll find it three times said, holy, holy, holy of God. You never hear it said, love, love, love. The angels don't say faithful, faithful, faithful. No, they declare God is holy, holy, holy. In fact, your prayer life and my prayer life, Jesus would say, should be marked by this understanding that God is holy. I mean, it's his prayer that he taught in the Sermon on the Mount. Listen, here's how you pray. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. God, your name is holy. And that should order my prayer life. In fact, you stop and think about it. When God's presence dwelt uh, in the tabernacle, when God's presence dwelt in the temple, it dwelt there in the holy of holies. You see, holiness is what makes God God. It's He is who He is because He is holy. And we need to recapture this vision of God as holy. Because when I read the Word of God, when I look through the Old Testament, I see the stories of other saints who experienced God and were there and had some experience with His Shekinah glory, His glorious presence. What you discover is... Is, is when they had that encounter, it seemed to be almost a traumatic experience. They, they would fall to the ground as dead. Whether in the Old Testament or even in the New, when John was on the Isle of Patmos and he saw Christ there, he fell on the ground as dead. You see, their response was, was a, always a despair because they were forced to be exposed and just realize their own sinfulness. 
And that's what an understanding of God's holiness should do for you and for me. It exposes us. It's his glorious light that reveals the darkness that's in our life. And maybe that's why. Maybe that's why we don't focus on this attribute, right? Because if we, if we have this view of God, then we're exposed and we have to deal with it. It's much easier just to think about God being a God of love. Well, he loves us. And, and I don't have to feel sorry for the way I am because, you know, he loves me. But what we don't realize is that the doctrines of holiness and the doctrines of sin, they rise and fall together. Our understanding of just how pure and holy God is directly relates to how I see myself and realize how undone I am. You see, these are the consequences when we lower our view of God and we don't recognize He is who He says He is in His Word. The modern deity that's worshipped is a kinder, gentler, a more tolerant being. He's not some heavenly tyrant of old. No. What's happened today is that God is so full of grace that really grace isn't necessary. Because his love is so, uh, it's, it's indiscriminate and, and his mercy has no law and, and his power has no intimidation. I mean, when we just sang that he is holy, merciful and mighty. His holiness, the, the, the moral purity that he has is the strength and power of his holiness. And we're grateful that he's merciful along with it. When we really have this vision and this understanding, then worship genuinely takes place. You see, holiness is that attribute of God that denotes both his separation from his creation as infinitely superior and his absolute moral purity. In other words, listen, he's infinitely superior from all of creation. Y'all, he is holy other, W-H-O-L-L-Y, holy other. There's only one holy one of Israel. There's only one holy God. And the gulf between us and him is infinite. And he's holy in that way. But he's also holy, H-O-L-Y. He is holy, absolutely, morally pure. Or as John would tell us in his epistle, God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. You see, God being completely separate, distinct from all of the creatures, all of the things, all of the created things. He is set apart, holy, distinct from us. But he also is not just physically holy in that sense, but he's also morally separate from us. He is pure from sin. That's why he's called the Holy One of Israel. That's why his spirit's called a Holy Spirit. That's why the word that we carry, oftentimes it'll say the Holy Bible. Because it's God's word. By the way, we're going to find out he dwells on his holy hill. He dwelt in the Holy of Holies. When he called a people to be his own, he said, you're a holy nation. Everything associated with him is holiness. The amazing thing about us is so many have forgotten what it means for God to be holy. Because when God is holy, there is a reverence and awestruckness that comes upon those who see him as that and recognize that. And they order their lives rightly. And only the holy God is worthy to be worshipped by the whole of creation. Because he is the one who made it. 
We're going to stand. And as we read Psalm 99, what you're going to see is it's going to be repeated three times throughout this song. That God is holy. And as I read that, the question I'm asking myself, particularly as we approach his table today, to to have this family meal and to remember and celebrate what Christ did for you and for me. So that we could be um, partaking of his nature So that we could be redeemed and one day dwell in his unapproachable light. I need to realize, just scrutinize my heart as I read this. And I need to ask myself honestly this question. Do I really live my life recognizing he's holy and I'm not? Have I I cried out to him for mercy so that he can transform my life? Do I I eat this meal in a manner worthy of one who professes Jesus is my Savior and my Lord? And is my life one that, as Paul would say, I'm presenting myself as a slave of righteousness that's leading to holiness. Because if I'm not, then I, then I need to repent of those things before I approach the table today so that I eat in a manner worthy of the Lord. So I want you to stand with me and honor the word of the Lord. We're going to stand and read these nine verses of Psalm 99. And just hear this refrain over and over and over again. And may God just enlarge our minds, our understanding, our vision of who he is. Holy other and completely holy. The Lord reigns. Let the people tremble! Exclamation point. He dwells between the cherubim. Let the earth be moved. The Lord is great in Zion. He is high above all the peoples. Let them praise your great and awesome name. He is holy. The king's strength also Loves justice, you have established equity, you have executed justice and righteousness in Jacob. Exalt the Lord our God and worship at his footstool. He is holy. Moses and Aaron were among his priests and Samuel was even among those who called upon his name. They called upon the Lord and he answered them. He spoke to them in the cloudy pillar. They kept his testimonies and the ordinances he gave them. You answered them, O Lord our God. You were to them God who forgives. Though you took vengeance on their deeds. Exalt the Lord our God and worship at his holy hill. Why? For the Lord our God is holy. Father, my prayer is that, Lord, you would enlarge our vision, our understanding That, God, we would conduct ourselves in holy reverence, holy fear, as the church did in the book of Acts, Lord, when they realized just how holy you are. God, may we realize today that, Lord, though we were separated from you because of our sinfulness, God, we celebrate today and we remember the one who brought us, we who were far near, so that we could have a relationship with you. Spirit of God, have your will in every heart that's before me. And Jesus, we magnify your name and we give thanks for who you are and what you've done for us. And we ask all this in your precious and powerful name. And all God's people said amen. Amen. You may be seated this morning. I hope you noticed there at the end of verse 3, the end of verse 5, the end of verse 9, the emphasis that God is holy. In fact, there's a movement that takes place. 
where it begins with his great and awesome name, his name that is distinct and from all of creation and all of those things that are created and every other name. God's name is holy. And, and, and not just that, but his throne, his footstool, where we bow before him recognizing his infinite, awesome reign that's holy. And we realize his throne and his rule, his reign is a holiness that's guided by righteousness and, and his whole abode where he dwells. It's a holy hill. The emphasis on the holiness of God is, is just woven all throughout this song. And there's a reason why you and I should be praising him and celebrating him in his holiness. Not just the greatness of his glorious reign. Not just the justice, the righteousness with which he reigns. But also the fact that we who are unrighteous, he answers our prayers and forgives our sins and enables us to have a relationship with him. How blessed are we as the people of God. The psalmist starts out here in Psalm 99 in the first three verses and just says, listen, we must worship the holy God who reigns. In fact, if you start over in Psalm 90 and you begin, that's the beginning of book 4, what you find here are all the royal psalms that begin in verse 93 and go through here. And they talk about God being the king, God reigning, God ruling over his people. And here the invitation is, listen, recognize our God reigns, the Lord reigns, let the peoples tremble, exclamation point. All peoples, not just Israel, God reigns over all. He is great in Zion, he is great in the heavenly Jerusalem, he is great, but he's also high above all the peoples. It's our God, as we've already discovered, who's transcendent. He is so far up above us. And he reigns and he rules. And his reign and his rule is in holiness as the holy other one. God is the one who reigns and rules even when they don't surrender and yield to him. In fact, in the beginning of Psalms, Psalm 1 and Psalm 2 are so instructional for all of the book of Psalms. One talking about the contrast between the wicked and the good in Psalm 1. The wicked are those who don't listen to the word of God. They're wiser than he. And the godly ones are those who turn away from the wisdom of the world to listen to the wisdom of God. And they meditate on his truth day and night. Psalm 2 is that picture of, uh, of all those people who reject God as God sits on his throne. And, and he invites you to recognize and do homage to him, to acknowledge that he reigns and rules. And yet they cried, let us tear his fetters from us. We don't want to be chained to him anymore. We don't want to, we shake our fists at him. We don't like him. It's like this mindset today, particularly in the LGBTQ transgender. And yes, I'm going to speak about it because if you don't speak about it, church, they are blaming you and blaming me for what they do that's evil. Wake up. They reject who God is and how he made them. That is a mental disorder. And they are trying to delude the minds of the innocent ones, the children. Now they're destroying their lives. That's not enough depraving their minds. Now they're destroying their lives. And next is you and me. Realize it. They're blaming us. God have mercy on us. They shake their fists at him. They rebel against him as Psalm 2 says. They don't realize. He, he laughs. 
I reign, I rule over this. This is my, my creation. Now here's the amazing thing. He's holy other. He's holy, pure. He reigns, he rules, he is the sovereign king. And the response should be, as it says in verse 1, let the people tremble. But we don't. And yet the amazing thing is we should. You know why? Because he dwells between the cherubim. What are the cherubim? They're angelic beings. They're angelic beings. They're, they're in heaven. And they're part of the, the group of angels that, that are there around the throne of God. And yet God gave us a picture on earth of the nature of his reign and his rule on his throne. As there in the Holy of Holies, as the ark was built and designed, there were two angels, two cherubim that were over it, and the tips of their wings touched. And it was a picture over the mercy seat of God, of God's presence there. And praise God that his presence is a merciful presence. Otherwise, what you and I would deserve as sinners in the presence of a holy God is to be destroyed. But he has mercy. Wow, what an amazing God. I mean, you stop and you think about this picture that's given to us. He's high above. He's greater than. His, His name is worthy of praise because it is great and awesome. There is no name like our God. And even though he is so distant from us, so high above us as he is holy and awesome, he draws near to us. Who are we that we should experience that? I mean, you stop and think about it. But he shows us mercy. What an amazing God. Now, here's the amazing thing. His, his, he's the holy God who reigns, but his reign is a righteous reign. In verse 4 and 5, I underline these words in verse 4 in particular because when things are repeated, that means God's trying to make an emphasis on something. Notice this. The king's strength also loves justice. You have established equity. You have executed justice and righteousness. Now, all of those words have a much semantic range, we would say, a word range in the Hebrew where they're all drawn from similar roots oftentimes, which have to do with righteousness, what's right. You know why? Because the holy God determines what's right and wrong. The holy God, listen, when he reigns and rules, his strength and his power is drawn in many ways from his moral purity that he has. That's the strength of his reign and his rule. You know why? Because truth always triumphs. Righteousness is powerful. You stop and think about what it says over there in the book of Proverbs. The righteous are bold as a lion. God's strength of his reign and rule is tied to that moral rightness. Think about this. If a, if, 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 an all powerful, if a powerful king reigns and rules, but he is not righteous, would that bother you? Oh, it'd bother me. He'd be a tyrant. We know what that looks like throughout history. But our God is not just strong and powerful. He loves justice. He rules with equity, fairness. His power never runs amok because he always does the right thing. It's balanced by doing the right thing, doing the just thing, and doing it in the right way. And that's our God we worship. He is merciful and mighty. And whenever he acts, it will always be done in the right manner. That's why we run to him. 
That's why we want to be a part of his kingdom. We've seen and experienced enough of the the tyrants who live, who don't live according to the law. They think they're above the law and unwilling to be uh, uh, judged by the law. Our God, listen, his scepter, Hebrews tells us, is a scepter of righteousness. Our king, as he says, of the order of Melchizedek, he, he, is, he is a prince of righteousness. It's his, or a king of righteousness. And his rule, listen, is over us who are unrighteous. Because it's fascinating to me. Watch this now in verse 4. The king's strength is his loves justice and establishes equity. And you've executed justice and righteousness, notice this, in Jacob. Why didn't he say in Israel? I mean, that's where he's reigned and ruled. Why did he emphasize Jacob? I mean, it's, it's a term that's used interchangeably for the, the nation Israel. God changed Jacob's name to Israel. But why the emphasis on Jacob? Do you remember Jacob? What do we know about Jacob? Jacob wasn't always right, y'all. He was a schemer. He was a deceiver. Uh, he was conniving and devious at times. And so were the people of God. They, 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 they conspired. They were manipulative. Their, their history was that they, they, didn't always, they didn't always do what God told them to do. Neither do you and I, right? And yet God, who always does the right thing, the equitable thing, the just thing, the righteous thing, even for a people who don't do it. Wow, what an amazing God. He, he doesn't become like us. He wants us to become like him. Even in his reign and in his rule, he demonstrates this. In fact, there's a beautiful picture here uh, that, that he is to be exalted and magnified. And you come and you recognize when you haven't done the right things, when we've been manipulative and deceitful and we've been conniving, we've been conspiring, we need to come and we need to recognize that's not him. And we bow. We bow at his footstool. Why? Because he's on his throne reigning and ruling righteously. Always doing the right thing. And he wants everybody to come to that point and recognize he is holy. And the amazing thing is, he takes thought of us. And he speaks to us. And we speak back to him and he responds. And, and the psalmist marshals these examples before us. And he says, there's a, a holy God who responds to his people when they cry out to him. Moses and Aaron were among his priests, and Samuel was among those who called upon his name. They called upon the Lord, and he answered them. When you stop and consider how holy God is, holy other, and how holy and pure he is, and you stop and think about ourselves like Jacob, listen, heel-grabbing, deceiving, manipulating, who are we that he thinks thought of me? And and, and that he wants to commune with us and communicate with us. And yet what we find is that he made us for a relationship with him. And he's made a provision so that we can have a relationship with him. We'll celebrate in just a moment. But but he communicated with his priests. He communicated with his prophets, the servants. And these three were famous in in all of Israel. Moses and Aaron were were counted among his priests. They were were of the priestly tribe. and, And they had to intercede for God's people time and time again. Moses did it many times in the wilderness, interceding for Israel when they, when they rebelled against the Lord, when they turned their backs on him or complained against him. Aaron, listen, in Korah's rebellion, had to offer a, a moment of intercession for, for God's people time and again. 
In, in fact, it's amazing. Moses cried out, uh, you know, God wanted a kingdom of priests, and yet they didn't always want to obey the king. They, they, they didn't always want to worship him in the way he should be worshipped. Samuel interceded for them. Samuel was among those who called upon his name. When did Samuel call upon his name? Well, as a judge, he did that many times. He was a great man of prayer, and he called upon God and cried out most for a nation that was rebellious at his time. So rebellious, what did they do? Did they want to acknowledge him as the king? Did they want to recognize his reign and rule? No. Can you give us a king like the nations around us, please? They had a king. It was Yahweh, Jehovah. That was their king, but that wasn't enough. We need one we can see. They didn't want to obey and do what the king... And, and Samuel warned them, listen, if you do this, here's what you'll experience. And it happened. The amazing thing is, God heard their intercessions. God heard their prayers. They called out unto him, and he answered them. He spoke to them in a, in a cloudy pillar, and they kept his testimonies, testimonies and ordinances that he gave them. They obeyed. They, 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 they would turn to him. And the amazing thing is when he answered them, he was asked to them the God who forgives. Well, praise God, that's possible because you see, he dwells on a mercy seat. He can only do that because he is, uh, as a holy God, because he is merciful. But that mercy can only be extended to us along with his grace because he's perfectly righteous and does the right thing. And as we approach this table, this is what we're remembering. Listen, as Paul would say over in Romans chapter 3, Jesus, when he offered the sacrifice for your sin and my sin as the substitute, the propitiation for us, where he would take God's wrath and he would meet the righteous requirements of God. Because he does that right thing for you and for me, listen, living the sinless life that none of us could live, Going to the cross, check this out, and the certificate that was written against you and me, Colossians chapter 2, here's what it said. The wages of sin is death. He nailed that to the cross for you and for me. And because he did that and died, then God can be both just and the justifier. God has met the requirement that the law requires. His own standard, his son meets it for you and for me. And God can justify you and my, me when we repent of our sins and place our faith and trust in him. That's what we're celebrating today. That's what we're remembering today. I don't have any righteousness you don't either. All of our righteousness is through an exchange. My unrighteousness for your righteousness on that cross. It's a change that takes place. And the amazing thing is this. The holy God who reigns and rules provided that for all of us. Or anyone who will call on his name to be saved. He is a God who forgives. Aren't you grateful for that this morning? I certainly am. I'm grateful that his sacrifice was a once-for-all-time sacrifice, according to the book of Hebrews. It was offered once for all. When he cried on that cross to tell us, die, it is finished. It's all done. Praise the Lord. But watch this. Don't run past that. Some will say, oh, well, let's keep sinning that grace might abound. Oh, no. No, no, no. With God, there's forgiveness, the psalmist would say, so that we might fear him, reverence him, stand in awe of him. Who are we to be forgiven like this? Because you see, God doesn't wink at sin. 
And if we don't run, if we run past this verse and miss the second half of it, then, then we don't have a, a true understanding, a balanced understanding of God's faithfulness in answering our prayers, His mercy to forgive our sins, His righteousness in, in, in imposing punishment for sin. We'll take mercy lightly. You see, He is the God who answers prayers. He is the God who forgives. But He also took vengeance on their deeds. In other words, when you find in Scripture people crying out, God, have mercy on me. God, save me from our sin. That doesn't mean that God said, well, there won't be any consequences for your sin. That's not how it works. I know we'd love for it to work that way because he's a loving God, right? But that's not true. If we did, that would tarnish his glory. If he did it that way. But, but when we sin, God forgives our sin and the, and, and the penalty that's against us. But that doesn't mean that there won't be consequences. David, King David, is the greatest example in the Bible. One who loved God with his whole heart, right? And yet he writes Psalm 32 for us. He writes Psalm 51. His psalms of confession. His psalms of crying out to God. How blessed is the man to whom you do not impute iniquity. Whose transgressions are forgiven. But blessed is the man that God forgives. But were there still consequences for David's sin? Mm -hmm. There's a lot of collateral damage from David's sin. Affected his, his family for years to come. But the Lord still heard his prayers. The Lord still forgave. And the Lord supplied grace even for David in those days as he moved forward. And he'll do the same for you and for me. Listen carefully. God forgives repentant sinners. But that does not mean there are no consequences for our sin. We have entertained a low view of God's holiness in many ways. Because we don't think about this. But if I really recognize that. Then that is a motivation for me. To live godly. Not to live worldly. Not to live in ungodliness. You see. It's easy to enter into the sanctuary. Praise him. Magnify his name. Make much of him. And then go throughout the week. Without any regard for him. It's very simple. You know why? Because we've lessened our view of him. Not realizing he's holy other. I mean, it's amazing to me when Samuel, I'm sorry, when, when Solomon was at the holy temple that he had built for God. And, and he wanted God's holy presence there. And he cried out to God and he began praying with his hands raised up. Because he realized, God, you're so much holier than that. You're so high. There's no God like you. By the end of his prayer, what you find, he's on his knees. Why? Humility. Brokenness. And we should be that way. We worship a God. Praise God. He reigns. Amen. We worship a God who reigns righteously. Praise the Lord. And we worship a holy God that responds when we who are unrighteous call out to him for mercy. You see, you and I are to exalt a holy God. Not just in this sanctuary, but in the sanctuary of our hearts. As we go throughout the week, worshiping, recognizing the one who reigns, the one who rules. Recognizing that, that if we are to say that we walk in light, really we walk in the darkness, then we deceive ourselves. The truth's not in us, John would say in his epistle. We, we profess he's holy and we profess we've surrendered to his righteous rule. But too many love their unholy rule and won't surrender and yield to him.
You see, you and I come to this table today because we realize that there's a, a holy God who reigns. And, and we're celebrating one who stepped down from his throne to put this stuff on so that he could take and bear it on a tree. Uh, uh, some bread we're going to partake of, which points to the flesh, the body that was broken for you and me. He who existed in the form of God did not regard equality with God as something to hold on to, but he emptied himself and took on flesh. And as we approach this table, we give thanks that he did that. Amen. And that he paid the penalty that my sin deserves. We, we partake uh, of this table and we recognize that he's a righteous God. He's done the right things. And, and, and he's cut a covenant with us now. He's provided a sacrifice. Uh, one that's sufficient so that he can be both just and justifier. And, and, and we can exchange now our unrighteousness for his righteousness. Uh, a king that we now call on. Who's made us his covenant people. The cup reminding us that now we are the people of God. He's cut the covenant. Beloved, he'll always be faithful. He is a God who forgives. Praise the Lord. Call on him. In fact, even before we approach this table today, and the deacons will be coming in just a moment, this is when we have just a holy hush across the sanctuary, and we truly look in our hearts, and we search our hearts, and, and, and we examine our lives to make sure that there's no unconfessed sin. And if there is sin, then praise God, His throne is a throne of grace, and His mercies are new every morning, and we ask for forgiveness, because He is the God who forgives. And we realize we're not worthy to partake of this meal. But it's in that recognition that we're worthy. Because we realize what Christ has done for us. In fact, I'm going to invite you now, if you will, just to bow your heads and search your hearts. And ask an honest question this morning. Am I living in such a way that my life gives a testimony? I believe God is holy. That I, as one of his children, am presenting myself as a slave of righteousness which leads to holiness. Is there something in my life that's reigning and ruling in my heart? Some sin. Others may not know about it. God does. But, but he came to set us free. He came for us not to be under sin's dominion, but to have dominion over it. And for it not to control us and Maybe we need to confess something. The altar's open if we need to get on the altar so that we eat in a manner worthy of the Lord.